0: We had to fill a vacancy in, in the, among the teachers in this class. And appreciate the fact that Randy Scarborough has decided to step up and fill that vacancy. And uh, also, Randy's going to be gone a good bit in October. So in order to fill in that gap, <clears throat> Philip Russell will be joining us as a guest teacher, I guess you could call him. So on the sheet, you'll see that there are four teachers Philip will be teaching twice. Um, and then Randy will be like the other teachers except for the month of October. And then for the first time, I'm uh, teaching with Kyle Forsyth. I'm really glad. Last time, I taught with Kyle Pearson, so I didn't have to change the names on the, on the schedule. I just kept Kyle in both spots. I'm glad to have him on board. Okay, And it is time to start. we've got everybody here now so let's go ahead and begin with a prayer let's set the scene for an epic battle god is a spirit and being without flesh he has no source of conflict within him or as john put it in the book of first john god is light and him is no darkness at all he is what he is man on the other hand has a dual nature He's a spirit animating a fleshly body. An important result of this dual nature is a kind of warfare that is set up within man between his fleshly demands and concerns on one hand and his spiritual relationship with God and all things of God on the other. It was, in fact, incorrect moral choice that resulted in man's spiritual demise in the garden and sins. How then can God be sympathetic to the plight of man in his inner conflict? God in his purity, man in his duality. How can God be sympathetic? That's right, I heard it. Someone whispered it. In part, as an answer to that question, God sent his son to occupy flesh and to overcome evil in it and through it. This produced the greatest battle between flesh and spirit, God and Satan, and spirits of good and evil that the world has ever seen. It culminated in the death of Jesus and the ensuing conflict for dominion over death, from which Jesus arose victory. Victory. Now man has access to a spiritual kingdom, even while he occupies the flesh. As soldiers for our king, we fight against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This battle is fought on many fronts, in the kingdoms of the world, in local communities, and yes, in churches all the way down to the battle for our hearts and minds and those of our children. What's different between our battle and the one fought by Jesus is that the better part of our battle has already been won. The stinger of death has been removed if we can but win the battle for our own affections. There's not simply a single packet passage of scripture that lays out all the battleground for us, nor one that provides us with a single strategy Rather, the scriptures are peppered with this language of warfare throughout and concentrations in various, with concentrations in various places. So rather than a lesson based on a single text of scripture, the class will take us through a variety of passages that will describe different facets of our warfare and engage us each in, a, in, in each aspect of the conflict. Along the way, we'll discuss the very nature of spirits and flesh, our connection with God, through the spirit, the spiritual warfare going, within, going on within us and around us, and the tools that God has given us for fighting it, including the spirit of God within us and his benefits. We'll also examine the war as it played out <clears throat> in the lives of biblical characters, not just the victories as seen in the lives of People like Job and Sarah but also some of the defeats as seen in the life of Judas Iscariot as well as some of the lesser setbacks as seen in the lives of Lot and David and Peter. We will do this not just for academic value but also we so that we can see ourselves in these men and women. So this is an overview of what we hope to be able to accomplish this trimester and if you look at that schedule it may not be obvious that there's a logical progression to it but I can assure you that there is one and perhaps as time goes on it will become clearer what that logical progression consists of. Okay. So we're going to talk about the nature of spirit and flesh, our connection with God through the spirit, spiritual warfare is played out in our lives, spiritual tools for fighting it, for fighting it, the spirit of God within us being chief among those tools, and some biblical examples. Um, we have a tortured relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, part of that is historical. Part of, it is, part, of the, part of it comes with the nature of talking about spirits in general. We're a little uneasy with the notion of a Holy Spirit, and we don't know exactly what to do with him. We've heard that there are arguments surrounding the Holy Spirit. I'd like to go through this class ignoring all the arguments. I'd like to ignore all the division that exists around the Holy Spirit and, for once, just approach Him in the Scriptures as He appears and talk about Him and His relationship to us in our lives. And if you've never done that before, it can be very enlightening and very helpful. So that's going to be our goal this time. We're going to try very hard to avoid all forms of controversy in this class so that the class can be strictly beneficial to us as learners without having to worry about what somebody else might say or what other arguments might present themselves. We're going to talk about these things only in light of scripture and in relationship to us. (coughs) Now that's always fraught because when we talk about us, we have to consider that the scriptures were not necessarily written directly to us. Everything we learn from scripture was written first to someone else, and then we have to secondhand derive what it means to us in our culture, in our time, and in our situation. We're going to try to sort through all of that, for sure, without having to raise all of the questions that necessarily surround these topics. So. In order to be spiritually enriching, we first have to dispense with the controversy and just focus on what God wants us to know about our relationship to Him, which includes our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Okay? The story begins as far back as the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, where Adam's body was created and then God breathed, and that word breathed is significant, into his nostrils the breath of life. A sort of wind, a puff of air. This is by definition the word spirit. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He breathed into him spirit. and man became a living, depending on what translation you're reading from, it could be tricky here. (coughs) It might say then, man became a living spirit, but really the word there in Hebrew is most often translated soul. One of the things we wanna tease out in this class is the (coughs) difference between these two words, spirit and soul. Hebrews chapter four says that's difficult. But he says that the word of God is living and active and more powerful than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. Do you ever give much thought to that? that? The spirit can discern the difference between soul and spirit, recognizing that's a tough one, but that scripture is so powerful that it has the ability to discern between those two things, okay? There are actually two words that we're gonna focus on as we go through this study. So, the body was created, the breath of God was breathed into man, and man became a living soul. The word nefesh is used 754 times in the Old Testament, usually translated as soul, and confusingly sometimes translated as spirit. Also translated as a variety of other things, such as life and uh, vitality and those kinds of words, OK? But here is nefesh, as clearly as we can tease it out. I'm going to call it consciousness, or some might say sentience. I'm not- you all speak the English language just as I do, and I still have to look up this word sentience every time I, I, I use it or think about it because um, it's not quite consciousness. It's sort of um, a, uh, a ability to think or to perceive or to conceive of something. Where Pardon? Awareness. 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 Good. Good. Okay. So, I am because, what? Pardon? I think. I think. I think, therefore, I am. Right? Um, This is the idea behind consciousness or sentience. Animals have nefesh, according to the Hebrew scriptures. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 20. In fact, it's mentioned, I think, four times in relationship to animals before it was mentioned in relationship to humans. Plants don't. Plants are not sentient, conscious beings. So there's a difference, even though both are alive. What's the difference between that? They're all cellular, right? Why can you um, crunch on lettuce those cells while they're still living and not think twice about it. Because you know there's no consciousness there. But we tend to kill animals and cook them before we eat them, <laughs> because we don't like them screaming at us. You know, there's a different level of consciousness there. <laughs> okay, the Greek equivalent of nephesh, usually when it's translated in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament it's translated as psyche, or often translated in English as soul. In Latin, it's anima. Okay, So again, the difference between plants and animals, right? So that's all pretty straightforward. But there's another word, and this, this is the word that's more the subject of this class, and that word is the Hebrew word ruach. The Greek equivalent of this word is pneuma and pneuma is a wind the latin is spiritus which is why it's translated in english as spirit in the broadest sense it's a breath or a wind but in relation to god and this is most important for our class in relation to god and our connection with god it's the seed of moral character some people believe the spirit is the thought generator you know if if what happens in your brain is a complex of biochemical reactions and electrochemical reactions. What's the seat? Where do the, what generates that process? What makes all those neurons fire? What's at the basis of it? Some people believe that that, in science we call it consciousness, we don't know what else to call it. We don't have another place that it's generated. We, we can't come up with another place it's generated from. It's generally considered by those who wrote in the New Testament to be the spirit. The spirit is the, the generator in there that's causing those, the, the, the ultimate cause of, the, of all those processes that are taking place. <clears throat> but in relationship to God, I say, because the spirit, and we're going to give a practical definition of the word spirit in just a second, a working definition. Let's <clears throat> call it. It's the seed of our, our moral character. Because there are good spirits, but there are also evil spirits, right? So just because you have a spirit doesn't make you good, but it is in your spirit that good and evil become apparent at the most fundamental level. So here's our working definition for the purposes of this class A spirit is a non fleshly being or aspect. Of a being that has a moral quality whether of good or evil and thus has a relationship whether positive or negative with the spiritual realm I taught a whole lesson on spirits one time many years ago Bill Wilcox was still here um, from the pulpit about spirits And when it got done, he came over to me and he nudged me and said, you still didn't tell us what a spirit is. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Well, that's hard. Hard to define. Hard to define something so so fundamental. You ever look in the dictionary at a definition of the word time? You'll get a whole column of definitions and none of them are very satisfying. How do you define? What is time? Well, what is a spirit is just as equally difficult, is equally difficult, but by usage in the scripture, and I think you'll find this definition consistent with what what we read in the scripture, a non-fleshly being or aspect of a being, because there are some spirit beings that have no flesh, right, God being among them. Or aspect of a being, because we are fleshly beings, we have a spiritual aspect, Whether a good, whether good or evil, and thus have a relationship with, whether positive or negative, with the spiritual realm. Now, what's in the spiritual realm? We'll talk about that a little bit more. But first first and foremost, God is there, Satan is also there. Uh, God met with the sons, and among them, Satan came also, we read in the first chapter of Job. Wherever the sons of God come before him, Satan comes also. And that's one of the persistent, um, one of the persistent facts about Satan as we go through our course. You'll see that Satan comes also. Wherever Jesus went, Satan comes also and brings with him a host of... (laughs) Beings that have this a spiritual, moral quality about them, and represent the spirit realm. The Bible talks about a spiritual realm, doesn't it? So we're not talking about spirits that are just without location. The way we think of, about location isn't can't exactly be right, can it? Because um, it's not like the Spirits are all in, in uh, San Francisco. I won't say evil or good. <laughs> um, and all of the people are everywhere else. We don't locate them that way. But there is a spiritual realm that's spoken of in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 as an example. God the Father raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. What's the heavenly places? We read a lot about that in Ephesians, don't we? But it's a spiritual realm, and the more you read the book of Ephesians, and the more you get the sense that it's not, God is there, but it's not just God that's there. It's a realm that includes a lot of things going on, and God's the throne of God, and, the, and where Jesus is seated is among them. See here in Ephesians? <clears throat> one in three anymore. I don't know why, I think that's one in 20. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, so the place where we're blessed because of our connection with Christ is in the heavenly places. So we have a presence somehow in this spiritual realm. How to think about that? We, we've got a fleshly body here, present on earth, three-dimensional, and yet we have a presence somewhere else, a spiritual presence in this place that Ephesians calls the heavenly places. Here's chapter 2 in, book, in the book of Ephesians. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So Jesus ascended back to God, he sat down at the right hand of God, he took command of God, the spiritual aspects of his kingdom on earth and he seated us with him in the heavenly places. So right now, as you're seated here, you're also seated somewhere else. There's another realm where we all have a presence. One way I try to get my mind around this is to think Uh, that each of us has a balloon attached to us, a helium balloon attached to us, and the balloon goes up into the heavenly places, and we're down here on Earth. So while we're here on Earth acting out our lives, we've got this presence that exists somewhere else that's far away from here. Uh, That may be a, a really cheesy way to think about it, but it helps me to think about my presence being located in two different places at the same time.
1: What questions are coming up in your minds right now, as we're talking about these things? I have, difficulty,
0: I have difficulty thinking of that realm as a place, although a mind wants to. There is this tendency, and it's it's an inherent tendency, I think, in our minds to think of spirits as just being disembodied without having a place. Um, but there is a realm, however we want to, we, I, I think, maybe realm being a little more ambiguous than place is a, is a um, already, you know, the writer of Ephesians says the heavenly places a little bro- more broader than place. But um, I think it helps to think of this as being, uh, and I you know, I don't know if you, you would call this another dimension, you know, I'm thinking in strictly earthly terms now. We have, we occupy three dimensions. Is there fourth? And so this is really, literally right here, but we can't see it. I don't know. Ryan?
1: I was, when you were saying all that, it just made me think of spiritual me, looking down at fleshly me, mm-hmm. and having like a separate consciousness from fleshly me, and going, no. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a vision that yeah. I thought when you were saying okay. that.
0: <laughs> but I think all of these ways of thinking about things can help everybody else to, to more broadly develop their own view yes is, is that realm achieved
1: prior to death though or does that happen after you have passed on
0: well Paul is writing in the present tense to the Ephesians when he says and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so I, uh, it, it seems to me like it's a uh, it's a present tense. That, right. that it's a place that we, a, a realm that we occupy now, even though that we're, we're in the flesh. So, this spirit aspect of us is not necessarily confined to our physical <clears throat> form, right? Um, so it somehow is connected to our physical form, and our spirit is affected by what we do in the flesh but it's not held within the conduct kind of finds necessarily, of our flesh. What does it mean that Jesus, the Spirit of God, is in us? Well, he's certainly not located and confined by our physical presence, and he certainly occupies another realm, as we've seen, But yet, there is a sense in which we are are occupied as individuals by the Holy Spirit. And we going to prove that over and over again in this class. And it it has meaning. More than just, okay, God is there, it has a meaning to us. And we're going to flesh out some of what... Flesh out. We're going to talk about (laughs) what it means that the Spirit is in us. One One of the problems we have is we're trying to understand... A non-physical situation yes. with a physical brain. Yes. And it we've got limitations. Sometimes the brain just won't cross
1: that line.
0: That's why we Think need these it. physical analogies. You know, it, it might be bothersome to some people that we have to talk about spirit in fleshly terms. But what other terms are we <laughs> going to use to talk about it? You know, we've got this marvelous description of the heavenly realm that John laid out for us in the book of Revelation. And it's streets of gold, okay? But that gold is transparent as glass. How does that happen? (laughs) Not the gold I know. (laughs) It's not transparent as glass. But John has to use, somehow, use physical terms to describe what's happening in a spiritual realm. And it defies uh, human speech and human reasoning all we can come up with is a poor analogy. And so we have to constantly bear in mind that while we talk about these things, we're severely limited in the ways that we can talk about them, and we're severely limited in the ways that we can understand them. Um, So we have to, uh, among all the other things that we bring to this class, we have to bring a great deal of humility in talking about all this, realizing just how little we can know, even when we've done our very best. Just like talking about the mind of God, yes?
1: Hey, you're talking about it, it just makes you think about, like, we have times in our life when our spirit can be in turmoil, even though our body
0: isn't. Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. So on the outside, I look, I'm, look like I'm pretty collected, but inside I could be a raging river. My spirit could be unsettled within me, absolutely. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, okay? So, so far, God is there. Christ is seated in the right hand of God. We're seated with him. And there are also, in addition to us, there are these rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And if you read more in the book of Ephesians, you know well that these these rulers and authorities are not necessarily the good guys. Some of these guys wanna see you fail. Some of them wanna eat your lunch. And you see these ideas of spiritual warfare going on in the heavenly places throughout the scripture. Remember Daniel? In the book of Daniel and Michael, um, the archangel comes to visit with Daniel and he said, well, I had to stop stop from fighting long enough to come and talk to you and I'm gonna go back and fight when I'm done. So there's this sort of hiatus that's taking place while Michael has this conversation with Daniel. There's a lot going on there that we don't know about. But there is conflict. That conflict is raging, and I'm thoroughly convinced that the conflict is different now than it was during Daniel's day, in large part, if for no other reason, because of what Jesus accomplished during the time of his death and resurrection. Hopefully we get a chance to talk about all this again. Gloria?
1: Because we do have nature of the flesh and spirit I, I don't think it's out of our ability to grasp you know to a certain degree these our spiritual existence I, I, because we have a spiritual existence. So okay.
0: Gloria said because we are spiritual beings we have the ability to grasp because God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. God made us like him I think there's a lot to that statement. People try to confine what it means when in Ecclesiastes when it says God put eternity in their hearts. I think there's a lot more to that than meets the eye. And I think if we try to define it too tightly, we're going to leave out a lot of other stuff. Among the things that God did when he put eternity in our hearts was he gave us a spiritual, moral sense that animals don't have. And that's one of the things that separates us from the animals. Animals are not moral creatures. We're moral because we have this connection to the spiritual realm, and when we disconnect from the spiritual realm, that's when we become immoral. right? So, But there are these rulers and authorities who are there, and so there is a conflict going on there that we can't see, it's out of our sight, but we can sense that that conflict is taking place, even today. And we can sense that in some way some small way or large way in our own life is it's large but in the in the grand scheme of things it's probably pretty small we participate in that and i'm going to prove that to you at some point in this class we're going to stop and do that right now right now we're throwing out grand ideas that we want to talk about as we go through this class so don't worry there'll be plenty of time to settle more on how you think about all this and develop further in how you think about all of it as the class goes on but We'll, we'll all have to agree right now that it's fascinating. What we're, um, <clears throat> the study that we're embarking on is, is too great for us, and yet it teases our minds, and it draws us in, and it makes us want to know more. So what's real? Is the physical realm the real part of our existence? And the spirit, then, is just an abstraction? Not by reading the scriptures, is it? No, the spirit, what happens in the spiritual realm is very real. John tried to bring that down to earth to us in the book of Revelation to give us a glimpse as to what it might look like and describe in, in these wild visions, the things that he saw happening. And there um, are things that happen that can't even be described, he said. Um, and among the thi- uh, uh, in addition to the things he wrote, this he said there were things that was unlawful to write. That's a teaser. Okay. Um, here's another simple, boneheaded analogy from a guy who's trying to make sense of all this that, that helps me. some ways, maybe it'll help somebody else. When you watch television, you've got a screen that's two, you know, two-dimensional. Okay, you scientists out there, we'll go ahead and say it's three-dimensional, but it Mm -hmm. has the appearance of being, it's flat, okay, (laughs) two-dimensional. And then over in Hollywood, you've got actors who are on a stage with all the sound equipment and and with all of the uh, cameras and the director and this uh, elaborate set who are actually playing out the things that are appearing on the screen at the same time. So in a way, what you see on the screen is merely a projection, it's not real, It's it, it, it doesn't Doesn't have the dimensionality that the real actors if you were in their presence You saw them playing all this out on the screen that they would have it doesn't have the depth it doesn't have the Exact uh, you you know, it's a pretty good likeness you got to say, but but it's not the same as being there it's not the same to watch a football game as it is to be at the football game and especially not the same as being in the football game right and feeling the blows and And all that. So this, in a sense, I see as being like our fleshly existence. That we are the appearance to other people of what's happening in a greater dimensionality, in uh, greater animation, in more of a real sense somewhere else. (coughs) you thought you were the real part. But I think that the scriptures will bear out that what happens elsewhere is the important part, is the real part, and what happens here is the way that we can see what's really happening. Now our vision is limited. Our vision, when we look at the life of somebody else or the personage of someone else, is limited about what really is to be known about that person. Aren't you glad (laughs) that everybody else's vision of you is limited? Okay. But there is a realm in which God's view of us is not limited. That's why God can see it all. And the more we can learn to see the spiritual aspect of other people, the more insight we will have into not just what we see in that person, but what's really going on in that person. That's what Jesus did. He saw people differently even though he was occupying the flesh, even though he was flesh like all these other fleshly people. But when he talked to people, and when he interacted with people, he didn't just interact with what we see. He interacted with their spirit. And that's why we get the rich texts. We're going to talk about some of those. Like John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, the conversation that he has with him. Jesus says, what? You're a leader? You're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? If I'm talking to you about physical things and you don't understand, how could I begin to talk to you about spirits? Jesus says. Or in chapter 4, the very next chapter, where he's talking to the woman at the well. And he's seeing this conversation one way and she's seeing it a completely different way. She's thinking only about what can be seen, right? Jesus could see beyond what she could see. And it's very clear in this conversation, in this exchange, that Jesus is trying to draw her in to thinking about and understanding spirits and the world that he could view from where he sat. and. She just does. She's pretty stubborn, but she doesn't get it. She, she continues to not get it, and he just continues to draw her in, and finally, finally she gets it. And that's when she goes out and starts telling everybody else about him. Okay? What questions have you got so far, or what comments, what has sparked in your mind that you'd like to, to talk about before we finish this morning? The fact that she did get him gives us a little
1: hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that it's important to um, realize, too, that how much the Bible emphasizes the idea of resurrection. Um, because if you take that out of the equation, there's a, it's kind of like... Like I heard, I heard a Catholic say the other day that they, the Catholic Church, for a long time, would never... Um, approve of uh, incinerate what is it, incineration <laughs> yeah. Cremation. cremation yeah because it, it makes a mockery of the idea of resurrection but there's a there's a emphasis in scripture that the flesh does matter even though it's like maybe we, we don't even understand the reason why it matters so much but um, I think ultimately the I'm sure you guys will get into this but the idea isn't that the ideal is to be disembodied spirits. The ideal is to have a sort of, I don't know, remarriage between the flesh and the spirit or something like that, ultimately. But you'll, I'm sure you'll have plenty of time to do that. We are
0: going to have an entire class on the subject of the resurrected spirit body uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it's, it, that, that the chapter alone is fascinating. Um, there's a, a comparison set up between two bodies. One is the, the body which is the body that, that's matched to the soul. That's kind of the body that the animal is in. That's this one. And it's compared to the soma, the body, the spirit body. And so the whole passage is a comparison between those two bodies and how one body is greater than the other so we're in a we're in a soma psychikos right now but after the resurrection we'll be in a in a soma pneumaticos. we'll be in a different kind of body that is um finally suited to the spirit instead of just to the flesh
1: but you know so many of the philosophers for 2000 years or even beyond that would say that the the flesh is just evil and I, I can't wait to escape this body yeah and I just think they completely get that wrong where that's not what we read in Scripture right you know that, that there's just been so many of the supposedly smart people in this of this earth have, uh, have stated that forever well and, and to be fair
0: Paul said something that sounded an awful lot like did, it in Romans yes, seven but when he said, "In my flesh there dwells no good thing," <laughs> you know. But he he said that for, for an effect, and and I agree that Jesus is the example of how that the opposite could happen. Um, it's just that in that when you're in that battle between flesh and spirit, um, it's the flesh very often that uh, you see as the, the evil part of that,
1: as Paul did. Very good. Thank you all. See you Wednesday night.